Good afternoon. This is Bill Allen coming to you from a very cool and windy Tyler, Texas. The wind has kicked up and it is quite uh, quite a, a, a chilly day as it turns out. It's very interesting that that is all going on and I hope that you are safe and warm and dry uh, wherever you are. Um, again, we're glad to have you. I on uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays this year in 2023, I am going about through the uh, two books, uh, Oswald Chambers' book on Tuesdays, My Utmost for His Highest. And on, uh, on Thursdays, like today, uh, it is a book by Timothy and Kathy Keller, The Songs of Jesus, focusing on the Psalms and looking at them um, as a songbook and prayer book that was around during the time of Jesus Christ. So it's very interesting, and today we find ourselves in Psalm 6, 7, and 8. These psalms uh, run the gamut of emotion like many of the psalms do, but in this case, uh, the psalmist begins in Psalm 6 with a, uh, a plea. And remember, each of the psalms is independent. There's not a continuity, really. There are some psalms, as you see in some of the headings or our footnotes, that uh, perhaps might be two uh, psalms now that at, at, in the original or in the Hebrew are one psalm. And we see that uh, several times uh, throughout the psalms. But these psalms seem to stand alone, but they are very well taken to get together. And as uh, the Kellers read through the psalms with us this year, uh, they cover these three psalms during the past week. They cover others as well, but... Uh, uh, we won't be able to look at everything. And so I'm going to be sharing uh, from Psalm 6 and Psalm 7 and Psalm 8 uh, today. Uh, first of all, reading from Psalm uh, 6. Um, listen to the emotion in the psalmist's voice. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. I love what the Kellers write about this psalm. How long, O Lord, how long is the cry of someone who has walked with more pain and sickness than he thought he could ever bear? God hears the prayers of the faltering because of his unfailing love. Um, there's a great verse in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that says, There is no temptation overtaking you, but such as is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But he will, with the temptation, give you the way of escape so that you may stand up underneath it. One of the first verses I ever memorized when I was in fifth grade and began following the Lord and seeking his will. Um, it's a great verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And the psalmist here feels like we do many times, God, you're really up to that limit. 
And that cry, that, that desperate cry, how long, Lord, how long before you deliver me? I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. And yet in the midst of this plea, in the midst of this desperate cry, uh, the psalmist trusts in the Lord. He either experiences uh, the deliverance of God from his enemies or uh, he recognizes that his prayer has been heard and God will deliver. And so he says, get away from me, all you who do evil for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. What a great, great blessing uh, that is. We know, as the Kellers say in their prayer in this chapter, that um, that the Lord's unfailing love is always with us, but sometimes we just don't see it, and and sometimes we can't feel it. And it's uh, it's okay for us to ask the Lord to act, and it's okay for us to realize that that's when faith is really faith. When we're praying for that deliverance to come, but it just hasn't come yet. Um, and then in chapter 7, uh, Psalm 7. Psalm 7 is one of those psalms of David where he is uh, uh, running for his life, really. There were several times in David's life when King David, when people tried to attack him, tried to harm him, even kill him, and uh, betrayed him, even. And this is one of those times where he is being attacked and he is being accused. And, and in Psalm 7, verse 4, he's, we won't read this whole psalm, but it starts out by saying, Lord, my God, I take refuge in you. I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me. So David was being pursued. He was being accused. <clears throat> and, uh, and there were things that were being said about him that were not true and were harmful, and there was harm that they were wanting to bring through all of that against him. Uh, and yet David uh, continued to uh, acknowledge his innocence. Um, verse 3, Lord my God, if I have done this and there is guilt on my hands, if I have repaid my ally with evil or without cause, have robbed my foe. Interesting that he says, if I've treated either my ally or my foe in an unrighteous, unjust way. He says, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. Um, unfortunately, gossip and slander and smear campaigns are still very much a part of the human existence. Certainly we see them here in 21st century America. And, and so we've all been on the receiving end of that David talks about. I'm afraid that for probably almost all of us, we have been on the giving end at times too. And so it's good for us to trust in the Lord. Even when we hear that enemy <laughs> saying those things, it's, it's very difficult to wait for the vindication of God. Job felt that. Uh, certainly David feels that uh, here. And so the great comfort that we feel as the Kellers bring out is that the Lord will ultimately make everything uh, right. Uh, this psalm continues, Psalm 7, and calls on the people to gather around in worship of the Lord. Uh, calls on the Lord in verse 8, uh, Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. In verse 10 of Psalm 7, he says, My shield is God Most High, who saves the upright in heart. Uh, King David knew that God knew, and I think we can take great comfort in that as well. Even if it, no one else knows, we know that God knows, and he will ultimately make things right. The trick here is we may never see it, and, that, and that's hard. Again, that's when faith is really faith, when you're cr crying out and, 
and pleading for that justification and vindication as David is doing here, and yet we never see it. Um, but we know that ultimately God will make all things right. I think, and they bring out, that typically that happens in our lifetime, but sometimes it may not. And that's why it's so important for us to leave uh, the retribution to God and to turn over those who uh, sin against us, who falsely accuse us, uh, to the Lord who knows. And uh, as Romans 12 says, quoting Proverbs, um, let the Lord take uh, the vengeance rather than me. And then at the end of the psalm, David uh, reminds all of his hearers of uh, the power of God and that God, when he does vindicate, it's not going to be pretty. In fact, verse 12 says, if he does not relent, he will sharpen his bow. He will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He makes ready his flaming arrows. Uh, whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. And so David says in verse 17, I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High. Um, as the Kellers say, we live in a broken world, and that means that injustice um, will go on. And sometimes the psalmist will cry out about how the righteous seem to suffer and the wicked go on unpunished and successful. But we do know that uh, God will work his justice out most of the time, I think, in this life. Uh, but some of the time we realize that uh, that final judgment is when everything will ultimately uh, be made uh, right. And then we turn to Psalm 8. Psalm 8 is a great psalm, one of my favorite psalms, one psalm that you've heard and sung many times before. In the NIV, it starts out in verse 1, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Uh, that old great song, I remember it was song number 562 in our old blue song books at Lackland Terrace Church of Christ in San Antonio, and wonderful Charlie Charleville uh, would lead that song, and he was a great bass person, so he loved to start because the altos start out real low. You remember that? Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent thy name. And then the others come in, and it's a fabulous song, fabulous um, and then there's another song from this statement. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's another song that's taken from that very line. Um, but that's just the first one in this wonderful Psalm 8. It's a, it's a creation psalm to an extent. And it magnifies humanity uh, as the, uh, the ultimate part of God's creation. But then the writer of Hebrews in chapter 2 has a different take on it. We'll get to that in a moment. First Psalm 8, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Interesting statement there. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I love what the Kellers write about this. The astonishment of the psalmist should be ours. Why should God care about us? 
And I love that. I love that term, astonishment. We should be astonished that the God of all creation, the eternal uh, God of the universe, who created everything, created humanity, and not just created us, but put us in a place of authority and dominion here on the earth, made us the height of his creation. Uh, Of course, Genesis uh, acknowledges that, that we are created in his image, and, uh, and so we have that special eternal spirit inside of us that will one day be judged and will go off to punishment or will go off to glory. Uh, but the psalmist acknowledges in Psalm 8 that just thinking of human standards in this world, how astonished he is. What is humanity? What is mankind that you're mindful of us at all? You're the eternal God. You created everything. And yet... God has given us such great position and a place of importance. And, and so the, the writer of the Psalms is looking at creation and looking at humanity and saying how high up mankind is. Well, the writer of Hebrews takes a different spin on that. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 2, what he says is, well, humanity is way up high when it comes to faithfulness to God. Uh, not just faithfulness to God, but position in God's universe. And the writer of Hebrews says, God, Jesus Christ started even higher and came himself down, not just even with humanity, but even lower as a servant, much like Philippians 2 says. Hebrews 2 says this, verse 5, It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking, But there's a place where someone is testified. I love the writer of Hebrews. That's what he does every so often when he quotes the Old Testament. He knew that it was Psalm 8. But he says, well, there's a place somewhere where someone has said, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. And so again, the psalmist is seeing the position of humanity uh, from the perspective of Above everything else God created, just a little lower than the angels is all. That's a very high position. Well, let's see where the writer of Hebrews takes this. Verse 8, in putting everything under them, humanity, uh, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. Verse 9, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For humanity, being a little lower than the angels is an incredible lofty position. For Jesus, it was a downgrade. For Jesus, he lowered himself. Philippians 2 says, emptied himself. Jesus was made a little lower than even the angels that he was so much uh, preeminent over. And yet, and yet he did it, and he did it for us. And as the writer of uh, Philippians says, Paul the Apostle in Philippians 2, it wasn't just that he became a human, he became a servant, uh, just as it says here. And it wasn't just that he even died for humanity as a, as a man, but he died a very cruel death on the cross, crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death uh, for everyone. What a great and wonderful statement that is. As the Kellers say, Jesus has come, and eventually the world will be under his feet, and then everything will be made right. 
God's love and care continues for us, even as the psalmists have said in these psalms, when you don't feel it or see it, but you know it's there. And the reason we know it's there is because of the one who is made a little lower than the angels, brought down from that lofty position in the throne room of heaven at the right hand of the Father, uh, born of uh, in very humble circumstances, raised as a servant, lived as a servant, ministered to others, put them before himself, came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, as Matthew 20, verse 28 says. And so for that, we are thankful. Let's close our study out in prayer. Eternal God, creator of the universe, we are astonished with the psalmist that you think of us at all, and yet you have given us such a wonderful place of, of prominence in this world, and you've, you're there for us whenever we're um, attacked or accused. We know, Father, that even when we don't see your presence or feel it, that we know you're there. And we also know, Father, that whether you bring vindication or not, one day you will. And so at times, Father, hear our prayers when we cry out with the psalmist, how long, Lord, how long before you deliver me and bring that deliverance. But Father, we know that you are there for us. We know that you will make things right in your good time, in your good way. And Father, we trust in that. And we trust in the one who became lower than the angels in order that we might be with you for eternity. Father, bless us and bless our world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope and pray that as you go through this day that you will be blessed. And I look forward to seeing you on Tuesday when we go back uh, and look again at the great words of Oswald Chambers. For now, remember these words. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. How excellent is your name in all the earth.